I, I want to talk to you for a little bit this morning. I'm going to try to make it quick as I can, but, but uh, I, I was going to talk to you uh, uh, right off the bat about the rich man and Lazarus, but I got to thinking about it. Uh, we, in the early hours of the morning this morning, and, and I couldn't get it out of my mind that it was more to it than where I was coming from. It, it was just uh, something I was missing. Have you ever been like that? There's something on your mind and you couldn't get away from it and you just couldn't nail it down? Well, that's the way I was. And so I, I lay there in bed and the, the Lord talked to me and I talked to the Lord and I got up this morning and, and I come down and got on my computer and I went to look into some things and I found out that, that part of the meat of this whole message of the, the rich man and Lazarus was uh, uh, just above it. The nugget that he was trying to show me was just above it in the parable above there. And when I went up and looked at Luke 16 and 1, Jesus told his disciples that there's a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. I thought, oh Lord, let me read a little bit more. And then I got down to verse 13, and, and here's uh, what it says. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and your money at the same time. I thought, Lord, what are you saying to me? And then I got it. The next verse, I got it. He said to them, said, uh, uh, that were the Pharisees, rather, the Pharisees, let me read that again now. 14 said, so The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were snaring at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of man, but God knows your heart. And so after he had gone on through that and he talked to him in some other verse and everything, I didn't ta- won't take time for all that, he, he gets down to what he was going to say then, and so then he begins to talk uh, about the rich man and Lazarus. And that, that whole parable there was to make us understand something other. That there's more, in th- more things important in life than natural things. Money and cars and houses and, and all that. I told you here a while back that I know a young man. Uh, he's a good friend. He works two jobs. He's got all these toys, but he don't have time to enjoy any of them. So many times the devil gets us so wound up about things that we put our whole life on the line just for things that's going to fall apart in a short while. We get so wrapped up in things that we lose out time to worship the Lord. When really the Lord's only thing that's going to matter when it's all said and done. Because there's a time appointed for every person to be born and a time appointed for every person to die. Meantime is what have you gained in that lot of time that God has allowed you and I to have on earth? And so I began to read then on down a, a little bit further and I, and I got this thought in mind and I want to share it with you this morning. Uh, Luke 16 and 19 through 31, I want to read that to you. And then we'll try to preach to you if the Lord comes on the scene. And if he don't, I will have a good talk and go home. But it takes the anointing to break the yoke. And I'm asking God for a yoke-breaking anointing this morning, that God's anointing will touch you where you sit, and God's anointing will get a hold of you and remind you what your life's about and what, what do you expect out of life. I can talk about this a little bit because I've been there. So here, here, here we go, verse 19. 
He says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day of his life. At the gate, or at his gate, was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And so the dogs came and licked his wounds. He had open sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Set in hell where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham afar away and with Lazarus by his side. And so he called to him and said, Father Abraham, our father, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime, You received your good things. And Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted. Here and you are in agony. Verse 26 says, And besides all this, between us and you, a great chism has been fixed. That's a great, great cutoff. A chism is something you can't cross over without a bridge. And it says, a great chism has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over there, from there to us. Now, contrary to some folks' opinion, they may think they're going to pray out of hell. They may think this, this is not real, but, but let's go a little bit further. And he answered and begged, he said, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my house, for I have five brothers. Let them, let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Verse 29, Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to him. 30 says, No, Father Abraham, or no, Father, he said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, nobody likes to talk about hell. We'd rather talk about a a good God, and God is good. God's a great God. God's a fair God. God loves you, and he loves me. And if we never serve God, God still loves you. There's a lot of people that think you just go to an altar and you get saved. And then you can go back out and live in the world like the devil if you want to. And you're still going to go to heaven. Well, I beg to differ with that. The top scripture tells us that we're going to have to live right. We're going to have to do right. Because God is a just God. Uh, but, and I want you to know something else. Life doesn't end at death. For the rich or the poor, or for those that have or have not, for those that love him or love him not. We all like to talk about his goodness, and that's good, but God has prepared a place for those that hear the word and for those that do not hear his word. 
Hell is a forgotten doctrine. Nobody likes to preach. Nobody likes to talk about it. But Jesus talked about it. See, because God, he prepared a place for those of us that would live according to the way that he called us to. And likewise, he's prepared a place for those that want to do their own thing. And if you really believe in hell, that there is a hell, it would change your life. I believe with all my heart that if people really believe there's a hell, they wouldn't cheat on their income tax. I believe that if they believe there's a hell, they wouldn't cheat on what they give to God. We got people in the church, uh, and not this church maybe, but some other church in the church world, uh, that two working and want to pay tithes and the other one don't. And they think they're going to get away with it, but God sees everything. And that's not a putt for me. That's a putt for you, if you'll hear it. We need to realize that God's sure, and He's straight, and He's fair about His Word. Everything in His Word is for our good, and we need to listen to it. And so, if you really believe in hell, you'll examine your life and find out where your shortcomings is because God will not leave you not to know what's going on around you and where you're failing and what He wants you to do. And so, when we begin to look at this scripture a bit further, we find out that, that there is seven things in hell that ought to be in every church, in every Christian's life. First one is vision. Verses 23 of Luke 16 says, In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. See, he didn't have time to think about anything but himself before he, uh, his time was up on earth. But in hell, he looked up in his torment, and he saw Abraham across the great chisholm, and, and he, he began to get a vision of what hell was like. Because he could feel the flames around him. He, could, he knew where he was. And by the way, folks, uh, hell has a one-way door. When you go to hell, if you don't live right, that's where you'll wind up. And when you wind up in hell, there's a one-way door. There's no exit from hell. It's for eternity. And so he got a vision of what it was like and what he should have been thinking about. In the church, we need a vision. We need a vision while we're alive and able to do something about it. We need a vision that we need to be real with God and serve God. Many of us have come to the Lord and said, Lord, I, I want to serve you, but Lord, be my Lord, be my God. But, but we've kind of backed up and, and got in the shadows, I believe, some of us have, and we got lacked in some place. And we need to be reminded again that, that we have a heaven to gain and a hell to shine, and hell is real as heaven is, but it's for those that won't serve God. We need a vision. We need a vision that it's because of God's grace that he gave his son to die on the cross that I can be go free and that you could go free. We need a vision that God saved us to reach out to the lost. God said, you're the light of the world. But how can we be a light of the world if we're going to dabble in the world? God said, come out from amongst them and be your separate people. We need to realize that we need to have a vision in the church that, that there's lost people going to hell by basket full, uh, uh, needing somebody to shine a light to them. So we need to get a vision that what the church is about. Jesus said that he commissioned the church uh, with a commission to reach the lost. That's what we need to be about, reaching the lost. The programs are good and, and all the other things that goes on is good, but our prime purpose in life is to live a life godly before people and, and let people see that God is real and, and he can pull you out of stuff because he pulled me out of it. Proverbs says in twenty nine eighteen says, Where there's no vision, the people perish. 
We need a vision of what God can do through us. And we need a vision about the work of God in this church. Let me, let me share you a little bit more here. In Acts 16 and 21, it's getting kind of a bit quiet. I'll give you a little break. Let's go down here and see what happens. Paul and Silas turned the city upside down because why was there great preachers? Was it because they were so much better great men than somebody else? No, they, they turned the city upside down because they had a vision of what God called them to do, that there was people need to hear the gospel. And so here's what happens uh, in Acts 16 and 16. Uh, uh, once when we were going to the place of prayer, they said, I want to hang out on it just a second. They were going to a place of prayer. The church needs to be a house of prayer. Jesus said it was a house of prayer. I mean, this house, your house, is a house of prayer. We need to be praying and talking to God about our needs. And so they were going to a place of prayer and, and were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owner by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God. They're telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, the Bible said. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around, and he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And at that moment, the Bible said the Spirit left her. And when the owners of the slave girl realized that, that their hope for getting money through her was, was gone, they took and they brought to Paul and Silas before the, uh, the judge of the people in power. And, and so they said, these people are preaching things that's not lawful to be preached, uh, uh, basically what I'm saying. And so they were carried, and, and then they were beaten, and they were thrown into prison. But they had a vision. How do I know they had a vision? Because they didn't go off moaning and groaning and complaining. Things wouldn't go on like it ought to have gone. They had a vision of what they were supposed to do regardless what went on. They were sitting in, a, in the prison. And all of a sudden, about midnight, they decided they were going to sing, God, sing to God and praise the Lord. And they began to sing and praise the Lord. And all of a sudden, there was an earthquake, the Bible says. And it was such a violent earthquake that it shook the foundation of the prison. And the doors came open and people were let loose. I wonder why that happened. Because they were about God's business above their business. They were sold out for what they knew in God. They were called vessels like you and I to set an example around, and they were doing what God called them to do. The Bible says that the jailer was going to kill himself, and Paul said, we're all here, and he come to, up and had the lights turned on, and he asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? When we obey God and we do like God wants to do, when we really got a vision of something, when God, God calls us to do, we're going to stand fast in that what God's called us to do. Secondly, in hell, you'll find out there's tears in hell. If you went to, to hell and looked through the corridors of hell, you'd see there was tears all over hell with people crying and weeping. I believe it was Mary Baxter that wrote a book uh, uh, about hell. The Lord, she said, uh, took her there. Whether it was a vision or what, but he took her there, and he had her walk the corridors of hell, and when she come back, she wrote the book like he had told her to do, and but more than that, I felt the spirit when I heard about it. I began to read her book. I got that book and I gave it to a lot of people in the churches and more when we were there. And some people come back and said, Brother Ben, I couldn't finish reading that book. It scared me so bad. I had to lay it down for a while. It took me a while to get through with it. 
people in the church today need to get a vision and they need to realize that there's tears in hell. We need to realize that going to hell is not going to be like going to a country club. I heard somebody tell me one time, Brother Ben, if I go to hell, all my friends are going to be there. I told him, yeah, but you're not going to have time to visit and have fun in hell when you get there. It's about business. It's about paying back to God what you didn't do here. It's about a just God saying that you're going to be punished in hell. Think about this all throughout eternity. Uh, there'll be anger in hell, not angry, mad, but anger and hurt. Uh, uh, there'll be tears of uh, repentance. There'll be tears of compassion for, for the people that I could have said something to. There'll be tears uh, of regret that I didn't hear what God said and I wasn't faithful to God. Hell is not going to be a country club. Amen. In hell, there's going to be preachers that water down the word. In hell, there's going to be praise and worship leaders that put on the dog and didn't pull down God in worship. It was all about me. In hell, there are going to be people that sat faithful in the pews and they sat there to be seen, not that they hear what was coming to them. There's going to be people in hell that went to church and God spoke to them on the pew to straighten up and do right and they wouldn't do it. And they were faithful to be in church every day, but they'd never let their life be changed. Maybe you're one of the ones that needs to be in mother's heart and fall up on an altar someplace and cry out for God to save your loved ones. Maybe you're one that needs to shed more tears for friends you have down the road. But if you really have the Lord and he's really in your heart and you really know that he's real, I don't see how that we can keep from having tears of compassion. But most of all, you can never have tears like you need to have until you've had tears of repentance from the way you have lived. We need to have tears. We don't want to wind up being the person that has tears of regret of things I could have done. Things I could have done if I would have just let God be God in me. And I'm afraid there's too many Christians that, that are really uh, uh, love God, but they won't let God be God in them. You know, uh, uh, we can all say we're Christians, but the power that moves the, the mountain, the power that breaks the yoke is when you begin to let God be God in you. Because I can do nothing on my own. Oh, but by the grace of God, when God's anointing comes on, I can do all things through Jesus Christ and that he's called me to do. <laughs> Praise God. So we need... We need to realize we can have tears here or we can have tears somewhere else. Third thing you'll find in hell if you go there is remembrance. There's people in hell are remembering every, every day the time that the Lord dealt with them to give their life to God and they wouldn't do it. They remember every time that, that the Holy Ghost came by and, and pleaded with them to give their life to God, and they would not. Every time that he pleaded with them to straighten up and do right, and they would not, they'll remember it every day. If we don't remember where God brought us from and what he pulled us out of and where he set our feet on solid ground and how he's been with us there in the, in the glitches today where the devil tried to pound his us into the ground and try to walk on us and make us feel less than nothing. I'm afraid if we don't remember how God has done that for us and rise up and let God be the power within us that we'll never do anything in this life before this life ends. And life is like a window. It's a short span of time. 
that we have to work. When God opens the door or the window, nobody can close it. But when he closes it, nobody can open it. And so we need to hear him. And we need to remember what he says to us. Uh, the scripture says in verse 25, it says, But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive good things while Lazarus received bad things. We'll be rewarded one way or another. If we remember what God tells us here, we remember where he brings us from, we let him be God in our life, God's going to bless us. But if we don't hear him, we will remember the time that he spoke to us in the pits of hell. Nobody likes to hear about hell, but it's as real. Jesus preached about it. It's as real as heaven is. The Christian life is a life of decisions. It begins with a decision to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Joining the church won't get you to heaven. Being faithful alone won't get you to heaven. Giving your money won't get you to heaven. Being a good guy or a good lady won't get you to heaven. It takes being born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, remembering and knowing that he is the only way. Through him, I can only make it to heaven. Through lifting him up, he's the only one that I lift up. That's the reason of who I am, because he shed the blood on Calvary for me. And I made a decision one day to invite him into my heart. We need to remember who gave his life for us. Was it man or some church or some organization? Or was it the Son of God? The rich man chose the pleasures of sin for a season. What will you choose? Will you choose the fine car? There's nothing wrong with the fine car. The fine home and all the toys that we buy and do and get. Nothing wrong with them as long as you don't put them before Jesus. Or will you choose Jesus? Will you really choose Jesus? Choosing Jesus is more than just saying, hey, I'm saved. When, boy, I got saved, my daddy used to tell me, son, a man's only as good as his word, and if his word's no good, he's no good, don't matter how much money he's got. You know, you can trust a, a person that's killed somebody. You can trust somebody that stole from somebody. But a liar, how can you trust? See, a liar is somebody that's their word's no good. We need to have a... We need to be people of our word. I, I, the world is people in them. My daddy wouldn't say when he taught me that. But he lived by it. And we as Christians need to live by our word. We need to remember that we're not the old person we used to be. Because we've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been born again. We've been set free. When you look at me, you see the same old guy and getting older by the day, thank God. But, but I want you to know one thing, on the inside, if you could see on the inside, you'd see a brand new man. Hmm. The fourth thing you'll find in hell is there is separation. God fixed it so you cannot cross back over. There ought to be some separation in this life, in the church, on this side of death, by every person that calls himself a Christian. Because Christian means to be Christ-like, means that I've been bought by the blood, that I've been chained. And the Bible tells us that we ought to come out from amongst him, be, them a, be a separate people. We've been called peculiar in one place in the Scripture, but, but God said we ought to be a separate people. We, that means we ought to separate ourselves from the old crowd. We ought to separ separate ourselves from the wacky tobacco and, and the other stuff that goes along with it. In my day, it was, they call it white lightning. Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, make you forget about your troubles. 
That's all that wacky tobacco and that snorting does today make you forget about it for a little while. Some, Bob, some folks want to use the excuse, well, it, it relaxes me. That's what the devil wants because God wants church folk to get relaxed to where he can slip, slip up beside them and begin to whisper in their ear these little things. Well, it's all right. Everybody else is doing it. It's all right. Nobody will ever know about it but you. And it will relax you. But God's people ought to be wise and alert. The Bible says we ought to be harmless as a dove, wise as a serpent, and harmless as a dove. I've seen a snake slide up on the side of a branch of a tree, ease over there, and go, and get a bird before he could get out of that in the air. And that's the way the devil likes to do people. Sneak right up by your side. Sometimes the devil will come up beside you like your best friend and tell you, well, it's all right to do this. You deserve to do this. But I'm going to tell you what. A friend that'll cause you to back off from where you are in Christ Jesus or cause you to even compromise yourself a little bit in Christ Jesus is not a friend. He's a double agent at the best. He really works for the devil, but he's acting like he's working for you or for God. In hell, there's separation. God fixed it so you can't cross back and forth. But God puts us on an honor system here as people in the church. He said, come out from amongst them. And God trusts you and I to back out from our old habits and our old ways and the old crowd that we hang out with and be a separate people because you can't be a light if you cover over with a bunch of junk. But if you'll set yourself up where God can shine through you and people can see God in your life, bless God, they'll know, they'll know there's a God because they'll look at you and see the difference in you. Be a separate people. Another thing you'll find in hell when you get there, if you get there, is that going to be praying in hell. In the church world today, we're so busy, we don't have time to pray much. I dare to say some of us don't pray 15 minutes in a week. But I wonder how much time we give Facebook and how much time we give the TV, how much time we spend and gossiping back and forth to one another about frivolous things that won't make a dime worth a difference to you or trying to get to heaven. I'm going to preach to you this morning. You've got to still love me if you get to heaven. Praise the Lord. Some of you might not like to hear this, but I believe God gave me this to give to you because I wrestle with it. Like everybody else, I thought, Lord... People need to hear more about a good God, but God said, no, this is what I want you to preach, and I couldn't get away from it, so I'm going to preach it to you because I fear God more than I fear you not loving me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Prayer. If you could walk down the corridors of hell and if you could look into the place where people are, I dare say you wouldn't find one person there that wouldn't pray in God. I'm sorry. Oh, God, I wish I'd have heard you. God, I know I should have listened to you. Oh, God, if you just let me out of here. Lord, if you just cool these flames just a little bit, Lord, and let me out of here. God said his church we call a house of prayer. We live in a time today when if the church was taken to court for being a house of prayer, I wonder if most churches would have enough evidence against it that it would be convicted in a court of law. I wonder if we could be convicted. I want you to know something. We stand before a more just court today. 
God is sitting in his judgment seat. And he's looking down upon the church today. And he's deciding for himself if we're fitting the bill. I want to ask you, don't you ever answer me. It's for you to ask yourself, answer yourself. Just how many minutes have you prayed in the last 48 hours? Just how many minutes has you bummed God for this church or your family in the last week? How many times have you went to prayer for a loved one in the last month? God says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Listen, Luke 16 and 27, in hell, he answered, then I beg you, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. Send Lazarus to my father's house. He was praying. He had concern for those loved ones. Here's a man praying for the lost. How many times have you prayed for the lost in your community this last week or this last month? But in hell, prayer is worthless. I want to say it again. In hell, prayer is worthless, but people are still praying. Here today, your prayer is powerful. What are you doing with the privilege to pray for people around you that can't help themselves, that need to be pulled out of the fire? Some people would like to blame that on the preacher. But it's not the preacher's job to do all the praying. It's the job of the church to do the praying. Number six thing that's in hell that ought to be in the church, and I'm just about through. There's mission-minded people in hell. I'll say it again. There's mission-minded people in hell. Verse 27 says, And he answered, I beg you, Father, I beg you send Lazarus to my house. I beg you to send him to my house. The rich man wanted to send missionaries to his family. He wanted Lazarus to go to his family and tell them. And I want to ask you, have you been mission-minded in the church that you know somebody is not saved and fell upon your knees and cried out to God, God, I beg you, send somebody to their house so that they won't be lost? Only two reasons you wouldn't do that. Well, actually, three reasons. Either one reason, you're a carnal Christian and don't believe in it. Secondly, you don't believe in prayer. Or the third reason... You just don't think God can do it. Mission-minded people in hell. We need some missionaries in the church. Amen. We need some missionaries in the church that'll bombard heaven for friends and family and for their cities and their community uh, 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 that they don't go to hell. Our city's full of them that needs Jesus. Number six, number seven, and last thing that I want to talk to you about this morning that's in hell it ought to be in the church, is C-O-N-C-E-R-N, concern, concern. Today, when I look around the church world, it's made me concerned about some things. But it nevertheless, uh, in Luke 20, 16 and 28, says, I have five brothers. Let him warn them. He was concerned about his five brothers. I've got some nephews and some nieces that don't know God. They're so far away, I can't camp on their doorstep, or I'd do that when I was there, until I got them in church. All I can do is pray for them out here, and when I'm around them a little bit every now and then, uh, try to live like God is in me, 
not like the devil. But we got some people today in the church world that, that they've been to an altar and they feel like they can just live like they want to and act like they want to and do what they want to and they don't care what you think about it. I wonder how Jesus feels about that. No, I don't wonder. I know how he feels about that. He's not pleased with that. Jesus could have called down legions of angels and smoked blindness upon the earth, at the, to say the least, any time he wanted to. But, but he didn't do that. He came in love and compassion and was willing to die on a cross. Uh, and nobody took his life, but he gave his life because he loved people that didn't even love him. And we're, we're Christians sometimes, and, and we get upside down over the littlest little things, even in our church house, in, in our body. And, and we're, we're not concerned how people feel about how we act or what we do. We don't even, we're not even concerned about what the leadership in the church says. We're just going to do our thing. But, but God's not pleased with that. God, my Lord, help me this morning. We need to get concerned about what the Lord wants in our life and what he died for. And we ought to be about that. If we're part of the family of God, we ought to be about what God's about. Loving people, loving people, loving people, having patience with people, caring about people, whether they treat me good or don't, still love them anyway. We need to be concerned that people don't go to this place called hell because it's a place of anguish and torment. Hell is a place of remorse and despair. Hell is a place of eternal desire for freedom and no freedom to be found. Hell is a place for a memory of lost uh, uh, opportunities that's far gone and can't ever be caught back. Hell is a place of regret over deeds uh, that we've committed. Hell is a place of absolute hopelessness. There's no hope for you when you go to hell. Hell is a place of eternal separation from loved ones. And hell is a place of fire. It's not a country club. Hell is a place of remembering, remembering. Think about the worst thing in your life that you've ever done and get up every morning thinking about it all over again. Remember just all it went through. Think about the most miserable time you've ever had or the times that you said no to the Holy Ghost and remembering it every day. Sister Baxter's book said it that it was preacher in hell, preaching, preaching. And I remember reading one part of where that uh, she said it. It was like the flames came up and and the flesh began to melt off the person until it was down to bare bones. And then it would start all over again. The preacher was preaching. Every message he preached, he preached with all of his heart, but it was going nowhere. It was doing nothing. Just remembering that God called you to do something you didn't. And it's a place without opportunity. You got an opportunity this morning. If you've been playing the game, or if you haven't been walking where you know to walk, I'm going to ask the praise and worship team to come up here right now. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me, every person in this house. I believe God's trying to shake us up, wake us up. I think I know most everybody here, and probably most everybody here claims to be saved. If you're not, you can be this morning before you leave. Just ask the Lord to come into your heart, and he'll come into your heart. He said, no wise turn anyone aside, those who call upon him. Now, as they play something softly, and I want it played softly this morning, I want everybody here to bow your head for just a moment. And I want you, first of all, I want you to think where God's brought you from. I want you to think about how lost you were before God come into you. I want you to think about just who you really were, what your story was before you come to the Lord. Now I want you to think about how good God's been to you. How that he forgave you. He invites you into his, his family. If you're here this morning and you haven't been living up to what you promised God, I want you to slip out from where you are 
I want you to be brave enough to step out from where you are and make a commitment this morning that you'll be all you can be in the Lord. Will you do that?